guys. We are Soundtrack City and I am Frankie. And I'm Misa. How are you guys? We hope you're doing well. Um, I, we hope you're doing as well as can be considering the current climate of things. Right. I mean, there's always your stimulus check to look forward to. So hopefully you got that. Neither of us have gotten ours. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> all good it's all good um happened. so i under normal circumstances i would have been in chicago right now um i have some friends that i had planned to visit i had a hotel in downtown plane booked everything booked and um had to cancel that so uh but luckily everything is basically fully refundable considering the circumstances and Yay. so that's gonna be a nice little cushion to sit on yes <laughs> Are you going to um, save it for your next um, Misa's trip? I was thinking about it, but I mean, uh, like we said last time, at this at this point, who can even say when that will be? Oh, you're um, so right. So, but I mean, of course, like, you, well, you know me, like, I have this tradition of going to one new city every year, at least one new city every year. Um, and I can't remember if this is my ninth or tenth year. I think this would have been my tenth. Yeah, this would have been my tenth year in a row. And I think I'm going to have to hold off on that this year, which makes me sad. Yeah. But I could always, I could always do like the desperation move like I've done before and just do a road trip to like the next state and city over or something. Like I could drive to Nashville, you know, or something like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. But again, that's of course if everything is up and functioning right. by fall. I don't know at this point. Right. I mean, who's to say? Plus, I feel like um, it's different within different states. You know what I mean? Like, um, I know Trump kind of gave his executive order, but then he did allow some leeway within different states. That's why, like, certain things are closed here in Texas but they're not in, like, Florida. And then you look at California, who's, like, very strict, and, you know, Texas is considered more laxed than them. So I feel like it's going to be different no matter what state you go to. You kind of have to look it up. That's true. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's there's been a lot of backlash today just because, like, well, WWE was, was deemed essential yesterday, and then today uh, they – Fired a lot of people. They did. Oh yeah. So like around noon, apparently Vince McMahon had this phone call, and I had not been re- like I literally what I do all day is lay in bed and rotate between Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. Mm. That's all I do, <laughs> and watch. And Modern Family is on in the background, and That's so right. like I, <laughs> I was just I was randomly on Instagram. I got a message from my friend Lewis, and he's like hey, these WWE releases got me refreshing Twitter like every two seconds. And I was like, what are you talking about? No. And so releases basically means like people who they're letting go, people who they're firing. Mm-hmm. And so I go to Reddit, sure enough, the mega thread, because like I'm sure the news was hitting. So, so many people were trying to submit the news. And so finally they made a mega thread. We're like, okay, everyone condense it into this discussion. And sure enough, there's a list of, there's a list of wrestlers who, if I'm being honest, and you know me, Frankie, devil's advocate. Right, always. Um, I understand that the fans are upset that certain wrestlers were released. Uh, some of the ones that I'll throw out just off the top of my head that I can remember from the list are like Aiden English, Maria and Mike Kanellis, Epico, 
Primo, Eric Rowan, um, uh, Zach Ryder. Um, there were a couple other people, but the thing is, like, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. some of these people were long overdue to get released. Like, I, Maria and Mike Canellas had no business on the roster whatsoever. Primo and Epico have not been relevant for years. Uh, Aiden English hasn't wrestled in a while. Mm-hmm. And if he's been making any appearances lately, it's been as a commentator, which I'm not downplaying commentators, but they have plenty. Um, and so I, I feel like wrestling fans are always just looking for something to be upset about or something to be up in arms about. And so today they lost some of these like less than relevant people from the roster and everyone's just kind of upset because, oh, WWE's fucked up for firing people right now. And it's like, you know, dude, if this had happened under any other circumstances, you would have been like, oh, ha ha ha, Maria was still on the roster. Like, you would have been joking about it. You're just mad that they're doing it at this particular time, which, yes, I'll admit is a really bad time. Right, right. But, like, you cannot tell me, if you are a real wrestling fan, you cannot tell me you're surprised by what Vince has done. Like, do not fucking tell me that you did not expect Vince McMahon the asshole like to not start like come uh, do you even wrestling bro that's all I have to say (laughs) anyway like like I said I'm not trying to defend anyone it is a shitty thing some of the people that were released were absolutely some of my favorites I loved Eric Rowan and now that he's gone and Harper's gone there's basically only two members of the Wyatt family left and now that Braun and Bray are actually gonna feud we really could have used them Mm -hmm. so that sucks and then on top of that, like, you know, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows were released and they have been prominently used for quite some time. And they were literally next to AJ Styles at WrestleMania two weeks ago. So that's kind of crazy. But at the same time, they were kind of wasted on that roster. Like they, the creative teams and producers, and they were just not using those guys to their full potential. So I'm not saying that they're better off somewhere else because obviously right now there is nowhere else. but some of these guys, it was a long time coming, and fans are just upset that it's it's happening in this particular time during this pandemic, um, and, and I understand that, too. So, like, I'm not trying to defend the company, but I'm just saying, like, you guys, you guys can't be that surprised, can you? Right. And I, I agree with you. It's just because of, like, the timing, but, I mean, you have to think about it as a business, too, because he has to cut those loose ends to put his money where he can so that he's not just wasting money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's a business, it's a business. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, and honestly, like I kind of felt bad for Vince at first because like he had to cancel the XFL and then now like the XFL is done, like it's not going to come back again. And that had just gotten started and it had got, it had gained a little more traction than it did back in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, I don't feel bad for Vince. Vince sleeps at night. Vince has money. Vince has his own cushion, you know? So um, I, it's, he's a man that I respect and admire, and he's got an, an incredible mind for business, and he m- took pro wrestling and he put it on steroids, so to speak. Yeah. And he made it what it is today. Like, the, you know, so, I mean – Again, I feel like I keep saying I'm not defending him when it sounds like I'm defending him. No, I don't Uh, think it sounds like you're defending him. I think it sounds more like you're stating facts, you know? I'm just trying to be, I'm just, I'm just trying to see it both ways. And as someone who's been a fan for 
20 years, <laughs> literally 20 years in January. None of this surprises me. Um, I'm just, I just kind of take wrestling day by day. Some people like to be mad about it and speculate and get up in arms and cancel the network. And I'm just like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that passionate, but you know, it's, it's still a fun, it's still entertainment. So right. whatever. But uh, I'm not trying to be insensitive. Of course, I do. I feel bad for a lot of the people that did get released, like Lance Storm and Kurt Angle and Fit Finley and the legends who were working backstage, Shane Helms, Billy Kidman. Uh, but um, honestly, when people leave WWE, they like their drive gets you know bigger, and 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 sometimes they find their full potential elsewhere. And and I right. know that things are fucked up now. But, you know, people keep saying, like, this too shall pass. This isn't forever, even though it feels like forever. It does. Um, so I feel bad for them. But, I mean, we just have to kind of believe that everything will be okay. Yeah, we got to stay positive, so, for sure. But, um, but aside from big businesses that will be okay, maybe we should shift our attention to <laughs> um, business. Let's talk about some small businesses. Let's mm. do some small business love. Do you have a small business you want to talk about? I do. Okay. So, you know, here in Houston, we're super proud of our teams, um, you know, Astros, Rockets. Um, I am not a Texans fan, but there are lots who are super proud of the Texans. Um, and I have been following this woman. Her name is Jessica Correa. She owns an Etsy shop called Southern Stardust HTX. She makes the cutest um, custom sneakers and accessories. She does like hand painting. She does glitter. She does earrings. She does tumblers. She does these super cute like jean jackets and they can be in like any sports team. Um, she's also done some like other styles, like with just like sugar schools and things like that. Um, I love all of her Astro stuff that she has out. Um, and she's just, she's amazingly talented. She has like Misa, she has some really cute jean jackets that I think you would love. Um, and they have like this giant sugar skull painted on the back. Um, she does like custom purses, custom earrings. Um, she's just super talented. She is local and I know that she is supporting other businesses as well. Um, and I just, I love her shop. Like everything is so unique and so creative and she's super, super friendly. She takes in like your ideas and what your vision is. And then she literally just makes it happen. So, um, all of you people who love sports or, you know, even reaching out for like custom sneakers in general. She does, um, like I said, glitter, hand painting, um, the Sharpie paint, all of that kind of stuff. She does it all. And I in particular love her shoes. I mean, they're so cute and who doesn't love a good custom pair of Converse or Vans. And so, yeah, I really wanted to highlight her this week. You can follow her on Instagram and I'll have all that information for Misa to add to our blog and also add on our Instagram so that we can tag her and stuff like that. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, man, I'll have to check it out. I've been thinking about getting my jean jackets painted. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Perfect. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like geeking out. <laughs> so cute. Um, okay, cool. So thank you. 
Um, I have a few that I wanted to shout out as well. Uh, one of the ones that I wanted to um, just kind of mention is Grinders Coffee Bar, mm-hmm. uh, which is this. I I'm not a fan of coffee, honestly. Like the smell alone gives me headaches. When I worked at a bank, I used to make my coworkers like give me fifty feet because I needed to get the <laughs> fuck away from their coffee cup. But I'm sorry. But... <laughs> I love that song. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> Back that thing up. Anyway, so um, Grinders. Um, not only it's kind of a double entendre too. I love Grinders because not only is it a coffee bar, it's a CBD shop. Oh, cool! And so uh, they did just reopen last week. Uh, they they closed for a few weeks uh, when everything kind of started to get crazy. They are back open from eight a.m. to five p.m. for call-in orders, curbside orders. And they will deliver if you order over $50 worth. And that includes anything from their coffee, like, sandwich shop section as well as their CBD section. Now, their CBD shop is amazing. They have so many products. They have oils. They have lotions. They have treats for dogs and cats, like for those who have anxiety or who are maybe in pain, who are older with joint issues. Um they have CBD gummies, all types, all flavors. Um, and then, of course, they also sell, like, the CBD, you know, nugs and pre-rolls and stuff like that. Um, so I know that would definitely help a lot of people out with just kind of having to mellow yes, out and all that very, anxiety. very stressful time when, oh, you know, maybe you're getting stir-crazy or maybe you don't, you don't get the chance to leave the house as much as you'd like. Just, you know, I mean, I know it doesn't have the same effect as THC, but CBD is still very beneficial. Right. Um, I absolutely recommend it. Um, If you don't like to smoke it, you know, it's perfectly edible. The gummies are great. The treats are great. Um, And, you know, it'll just, it'll help you relax. It'll help you, you know, kind of get your mind off of other things. Um, And the CBD balm and lotions are legit. Like I use them all the time from like cramps to like muscle soreness. Um, I also use the oil for my daughter who has ADHD. Um, It's a lifesaver and it's natural. So, I mean, who doesn't want that? It's perfect. I'm a huge advocate for CBD. I mean, obviously, we're huge advocates for weed as well. But, I mean, <laughs> CBD is um, – it's a great thing. Legal. It's a great thing. So, I would definitely – yeah, Grinder sounds amazing. And, guys, if they're delivering for, you know, $50, that's awesome because you can buy, like, one CBD product and they'll deliver it to you. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't even mention the best part. Um, one of the times that I went, um, I had heard about this place through Instagram. Um, and the reason I heard about it is because I, I found, I follow like a certain hashtags through Houston and someone had gone to grinders and their cappuccino had childish Gambino in the design. So cute. And I was like, okay. And I grabbed my friend Jordan and I was like, we need to fucking go to this place. And so one day we were we were just at Empire Cafe, which is another spot that I mentioned before. And um we were trying to figure out where to go after we ate. And we we're like, hey, we haven't been to that grinder place. Let's go to that place with the childish gambino coffee. <laughs> and so it turns out they have a machine. So when you get your cappuccino, it still looks totally normal in the cup with like the, you know, the little swirly design. But then you take it over to the machine, no extra charge, and you can flip through their digital designs. And some of them are generic, like hearts and stars. 
And then some of them are actually like logos, like Frank Ocean album covers and shit. And so I was flipping through. And you can also submit a design to the machine through the Wi-Fi, and then you can just pick your own. <sighs> so cute. But I didn't need to do that because <laughs> I was going to get the Childish Gambino on my cup. But then I found Joaquin Phoenix as Joker. Uh, and I got that. Got it. <laughs> that's where I got it. And I remember I showed you that picture. Yes. Um, Again, I don't drink coffee, so I literally just bought it to take pictures with it. Um, <laughs> You're adorable. But I taste, I mean, I tasted it. I gave it a shot. It was really, it was gross. So Jordan drank it. Um, but it, it's a really cool spot. Um, just a really chill, you know, little area. Of course, you can't sit and hang out anymore right now because of the pandemic. Right. Um, but, you know, guys, feel free to visit their website. I'm going to put all their info up um check them out for your cbd needs coffee needs they can also put cbd in your cup like they they can just do pretty much everything it's not your mama's coffee bar so um i definitely recommend you guys checking it out um it's kind of in like the it's in the midtown area of houston so um sounds so cool yes and so then my second small business that i want to shout out to is Patty LaPelle. Um, and the reason I want to shout out to this small business, not only because they have some adorable pins, like I'm a collector of enamel pins. Like if you've ever seen me with like a jean jacket on or a faux leather jacket on or clothes, you'll see that I wear pins. <laughs> Like a lot. I love it. Or clothes. <laughs> or clothes. Or like hair. Or if I have eyes. So you know the one with the face. <laughs> when I face forward, I'm wearing pins. And so anyway, um, so yeah, so Patty Lapel is a, an amazing little shop. Um, they often collaborate with Gallery 1988, which is the small business that I mentioned last episode. Um, so a lot of Patty LaPelle products are on Gallery 1988's website, but then also Patty LaPelle is her own website. And of course, the name itself is just awesome. Mm-hmm. Patty LaPelle. And then on top of that, um, they have these amazing designs, really unique, uh, like pop culture enamel pins. And one I actually recently bought for Frankie. Yeah. Um, this was right in the midst of quarantine beginning. So I have not been able to give it to her in person. But Tears. the day will come, I promise. <laughs> guys, it's so cute. Because I know Frankie Frankie and I, of course, grew up going to Blockbuster and Hollywood video yeah. like every week. This is why we are on this podcast right now. And so I found the perfect thing for Frankie. It's a freaking blockbuster video cassette, like like the video cover mm-hmm. enamel pin, and it's for Hocus Pocus, which is like her fucking like Halloween movie ever, maybe ever, ever. I literally could yeah. watch it every single day. I can you know reenact it for you, one woman show <laughs> if you ever want to see it. I'm down. Oh yeah, you're gonna do that on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so I bought her this pin, and I was like, this is so perfect. Um, there are other blockbuster enamel pins available if you guys want to check them out, as well as just just their merchandise in general. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. They have really cute stuff. You'll find something for either yourself or someone you love, I promise. Um, and then the third small business that I want to uh, mention is actually a school that I used to go to called the Mecca. It's um, it's also known as the Dow School. Actually, my grandmother went to that school when she was a kid, and my grandmother is 106. Damn. 
So guys, this school is old and they need our help. Um, I actually used to take my acting classes there under my coach, Lee Stringer, who is amazing, who I loved very much and I miss his classes so much. Um, but uh, his class, as well as various other types of classes of you know various types and various cultures and subjects take place at the Mecca. And so, um, you know, they, they run a lot on donations. Mm-hmm. Um, and every year they have an amazing Day of the Dead festival. You know, every year they always um, they always have some kind of event in order to help fundraising. They also bring in local vendors, performers, uh, you know, food. Um, so it's it's an amazing place, and it's also where I've met some of the vendors that I've mentioned before, like Vida Antigua. I met her at the Mecca when she w- she had a booth at the Day of the Dead festival. Oh, cool. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've discovered artists there. I've, you know, lots of really cool, like arts and crafty people. Um, so it's a great school. Um, a lot of people rely on it for the sake of, uh, education for further education. Um, and again, guys, it's an old school and it's, it's so cute. It's like your classic high school, like school, like in the movies, you know, or something like that. Like it looks straight out of the 80s. It looks like nothing has changed. And so, um, you know, we have to keep it alive. Um, Art itself is a dying scene. It's already kind of weak in Houston. And now with this pandemic, artists are going to have to start from the ground up at some point. And so that's devastating enough. And so uh, definitely want to get a head start on helping some of these guys out. So guys, if you don't if I'll put all the information about the Mecca school up on the blog as well as the Instagram um a dollar two dollars whatever you can manage I'm sure they would appreciate um and I will have all that info for anyone who might be interested in contributing so hopefully you guys um you guys love the arts (laughs) (laughs) definitely all right so um so today we're we're kind of backtracking a little bit guys um, the movies that we're going to cover today are actually movies that we were supposed to cover two episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so again, like this would have been an episode that we recorded in person, like probably around spring, like before spring break, yes. like March 1st or something. Um, but because like circumstances and then this whole coronavirus thing occurred, um, and we had to, we were adamant about posting the Breakfast Club episode on March 24th. Yes. We couldn't not do that. I would not have forgiven myself. Oh, God, Because no. part of the reason, when we started this podcast, we set that date aside for that movie. And so I, that, we weren't willing to let that go. And no. so we put these movies that we're doing today, we put them on the back burner. And then we just kind of let the research sit in our documents for a couple of weeks. Yep. That's what we did. <laughs> um, so we had them ready to go. It was just a matter of figuring out, like, okay, when can we segue back into that? Um, so today's the day. So if you if you saw our clues for these movies, you, they probably look familiar because we posted them a few weeks ago, and then we took them down, and then we put them back up. Um, so today, Frankie, you're going first. I am, yes. So um, do you have any idea what my movie is? Honestly, like when I first saw it, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought because, I mean, the element of surprise is nice. But when I first saw it, I was like, is that it's like it looked like it looks straight out of Stranger Things. <laughs> and I don't I don't watch Stranger Things. So <laughs> um, but then I guess like if I had to guess something and mind you, I don't even know how much of a soundtrack this movie had. If I had to guess, I guess I would go with something along the lines of Stranger Things. So I would have to 
like wild hair up my ass and say like super eight. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what your movie is. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. So you actually um, mentioned my movie in passing last week. When we oh, recorded, of course they did. Of course oh, you did, no. which I thought was hilarious um, because I actually, after hearing you talk, I was like, "Crap, she hasn't seen my movie." So I didn't think you were gonna guess my movie, um, and I'm a little surprised that you haven't seen this movie, just because it is an amazing soundtrack, and because you do like his other movies. Um, so I am talking about a movie that was written and directed by Edgar Wright, and that movie is Baby Driver. Um, which again, I know you haven't seen, <laughs> yeah, but it is an amazing film. And I, I really hope that after hearing me talk about it today, you actually, you know, go and watch it. Um, for those of you who don't know, baby driver is a 2017 action film that was written and directed by Edgar Wright. It stars Ansel Elgort, as well as Kevin Spacey, Lily James, John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, John Berthal. Um, it's got an amazing cast. It has an amazing soundtrack and, um, like Misa mentioned in the past, Edgar does such a great job with his music choices. It's so important for him that his movies have amazing soundtracks that match exactly what's going on and are well choreographed with the scenes. So much so that this movie actually took him over 20 years to finalize because he just was so um particular about the way he wanted it done. Um, And that is probably one of the reasons why I absolutely love this movie. Um, This movie did premiere at uh, South by Southwest in um, March 2017, and it did really, really well. And so then it was pushed forward to release in June 28th. Um, It is literally one of the most well-received movies. Um, He did it on a very small budget and it earned over 226 million globally. Um, It also like just blew everyone out of the water and he won 41 different awards. It was nominated for 64 different, um, you know, awards as well. And some of those are not like super, um, notable, like Grammys or Oscars or things like that. Um, but he, just the fact that it like was nominated for so many, I mean, that's speaking movie talk, you know, Misa, that's very rare for a movie to be nominated for like everything. Um, so again, this movie just, it's so well-received and, I really, really hope that you go and watch it after. Is there a reason why you haven't? I know you don't. It's not typically your style, I guess, based on what I know about the movie and, you know, um, I guess the storyline. It's interesting when people tell me that they think a movie is not my style. Um, To be honest, I don't know what Baby Driver is about. Um, I don't know anything about that. Like I like I when it when it came out mm -hmm. and you know me. I don't like big crowds. Like I, because of my condition, I technically can't even be in big crowds. Um, And so I never really see, unless it's a movie that I've been anticipating, I never see movies in theaters. Right. Um, So Baby Driver, I remember like a lot of my friends were mentioning it. Like one guy said like Baby Driver is the best movie he'd ever seen. And like there, I was hearing feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
like another thing about me is like I kind of have to I don't know if you'll I'm, I'm sure as a movie person you'll understand this but like I kind of have to go about seeing movies on my own like when someone's urging me to watch a tv show I I I'm like you know that sounds great but like I'm sure I'll find a time in my life when I need to pick it up yes I completely um, like know what you mean Okay. Okay. So like, for example, like someone told me once like, oh, you need to watch community. And at the time I was like, nah, that seems lame. But then like a few years later, I was going through some really dark periods. And then my friend Tyler was like, you need to watch community. And I was like, you know what? I will give it a shot. Fucking changed my life. Fucking love that show. (laughs) And so it, I don't know what it is. I just feel like sometimes when it comes to certain things, like it's one of those things like I'll get around to it when I, when the time comes, like sometimes I, it comes to a point where like, I see a movie when I need to see it, um, when it's going to speak to me most. I I completely respect that. And I guess that's what I mean more by like, um, not that it's not your style, but just like that I can see why you haven't seen it yet. So I apologize for like misspeaking. Um, Oh, no, it's no, I wasn't. (laughs) No, I wasn't trying to get like, please don't think I was trying to get that at all. But for real, like Um, I completely agree with you because like there's movies that like I want, like, you know, just like we choose movies for our list. Like there's movies that are on my list, but it's just like, it's not, it's not driving with me right now. You know, like I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling that movie right now. I don't want to watch that movie over and over and over again to do research on it. You know what I mean? So I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, So, but I do, I do really hope that this movie speaks to you um, someday in the future because it is, it's, it's freaking phenomenally shot. The soundtrack is amazing. Um, And like I said, Edgar did such a good job. Like he was unwilling to let this movie just kind of be like a eh movie. Like he literally spent over 20 years developing and planning this movie and it all started with our opening song he heard this one song and he just told himself he was like this is the song that I want to open a film up and then this is what created this whole idea it was almost like an obsession for him Um, and when he heard the song he literally became obsessed with it and he envisioned this car chase. And that is exactly what he filmed for the opening scene of baby driver. And this song perfectly matches everything that's filmed in there. And this song is um, bell bottoms by the John Spencer blues explosion. So we open up on a red Subaru that pulls up and parks. We see an old iPod scrolling and the camera kind of backs off to show this young man. We don't know his name yet. We don't know what he's doing. He looks at the passenger and the camera scrolls to the back seat to show another man and a woman. They're all in sunglasses. They're all in like these trench coats. They all get out of the car except for the driver and they get bags and they start walking to the bank. The song has already started playing, but it starts to pick up right as they're walking away and the driver starts dancing and lip syncing and, you know, moving the wipers and just having a great time to the song as he's watching everything. Like he's drumming on the steering wheel. He's using everything like he's full body in the song and it is 
awesome. Um, as the song starts to pick up, we see the bank alarm going off. We see those three people who walked in pull out guns and they're starting to take all of the money. And as they walk out, the driver pulls up to them, gets them in the car, and he starts just driving super fast, weaving in and out of traffic. But he is so calm, like you don't see any kind of emotion on his face. Um, he starts to get in and out like with all these cops and you see the reactions from the passenger and the people in the back seat. They're worried. They don't know if he's going to get away. They're like encouraging him to drive faster. And he's turning super fast, like I said, weaving in and out. Um, and he's doing like all these like I guess, like fast and furious, like moves and everything, you know, nothing that I know how to drive. Um, you wouldn't, Nisa, since you drive a manual. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just picturing it now. I know exactly. <laughs> Misa's a getaway driver. So. I am. I'm the get in, loser. We're going shopping. <laughs> So like they're going in and out of traffic, like they go down this crazy like alley, all these cars and cops are just like there and like chasing them. And there's like 10 cops chasing them at one time. They're on a freeway and the driver does a U-turn and happens to line up with like these three red cars. Um, and by this point they have like helicopters and like the news stations are following all this because a bank has been broken into. Um, and as the red cars are lined up to each other, he like swerves and makes them switch spots. So the helicopters can't tell who is who. And they're able to get away at this moment. They drive to a parking garage and drop off the car. And as the song ends, they all exit the car and they get into a different car to drive away. And we see the opening credits for Baby Driver. Um, it is an amazing opening. It's phenomenal. The song Bell Bottoms is not a super popular song, but those who love it become obsessed with it like Edgar did. Um, the John Spencer Blues Explosion is an American rock band that was formed in New York City back in 1991. Um, they had four people, um, including Judah Bauer, Russell Sims, John Spencer, and then some other people who kind of like filled in for a fourth spot. Um, they included Elliot Smith, um, Solomon Burke, Martin Topley. Um, they did actually play with Beck for a little bit of time, which I thought was really cool. They are very eclectic in their style and they kind of drew influences from like punk, blues, rockabilly, rhythm, and hip hop. Um, they have released nine studio albums um, and they've done a lot of like live albums, you know, compilations. And like I said, where they pick up different people and just kind of add them into their songs, which I thought was really cool. They're very unique and eclectic band. The song Bell Bottoms was featured on their album Orange um, and it was released back in October 1994. Again, um, not a huge following, but those people who do follow them are like, you know, like uh, Manchelson by proxy. Like they're at every, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. They're at like every, you know, concert. They're very, um, very stuck on their band, which I love those people, you know, the loyalty of it. Um, this, I wouldn't know what that's like, Frankie. I, Lisa speaks of it. 
Misa knows totally what that's about. Uh, that's a story for another day, though. <laughs> yeah, guys. Long TLDR, Misa has been following one local band for 12 years. She wins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at every show. <laughs> she wins. She wins. <laughs> anyway, so they're like, they're like that, like Munchausen by proxy fans. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and one of my favorite things about this scene, like I couldn't find a whole lot about this song. And like I said, the band, just because they are like not super, super popular. They have a really, you know, close knit following. Um, but like I said, Edgar became obsessed with this song and he just completely envisioned that car chase. And he knew that that song was going to mark the entire opening. And it is the perfect song to kick off baby driver like it is literally perfect and i i ask you if you have not seen this movie please just at least watch the opening with this song because ansel does a great job this is actually how he got the part for baby when he auditioned they made him um lip sync and dance to the song and he did such an a wonderful job that they immediately gave him the role so please 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 just watch the opening part um all of the stunts and everything were done by Jeremy Fry, and everything in this opening scene was done to perfection. And the way that they filmed this with all of our cast in the car is Jeremy actually was on top of the car, driving it from the outside, which I thought was really cool and really unique. But Edgar wanted to make sure that he could see all of their faces in the car as well as baby you know being cool and calm while he's driving through all of this madness that's going on so as we progress with our movie we have seen now that they're getting out of the car they're going up to you know like their main person who is setting up all of these robberies and that's doc they get to the warehouse um, baby goes and gets coffee and we see the rest of them all sitting down. And this is when we're kind of introduced to everyone. This is when we learn about baby, um, and the other people who were in the escape car. And we learn that Kevin Spacey plays doc, that he, um, sets up basically different crimes for his group to go and, you know, do whatever. He doesn't use anybody who's the same ever except for baby because he's such a good driver. Um, and you notice right away that baby always has headphones on and he's always listening to music and you get kind of like a little background information that he has tinnitus. And so, um, it's kind of like a constant humming in his ear. And so he uses the music to drown out that humming. Um, the crooks, you know, they make their money, they part their ways and doc tells everyone, um, you know, we'll, I won't see you again. And then he turns to baby and he's like, but I'll see you. Um, and then we go on and we see, you know, kind of where baby lives and what he's doing with his life. Um, we see that he's being raised by a deaf man named Joe or Joseph. Um, he keeps all of his money in like this floorboard in his little apartment. He speaks in sign language and him and Joe are so cute. They like dance and play around and they're just so, so adorable. This is also when we learn that baby actually records everything that happens between him and doc and then he takes it and he makes them into music tapes which i thought was such a cute thing to add into this movie um and he does have this one special tape labeled mom and you don't get to listen to it yet but you learn that there's some like background information with that 
um, baby takes care of Joe, they make him a sandwich and everything. And then, you know, they just kind of go on with their life. And the next scene goes to baby going into like this really cute, like old school diner. And as he's there, he sees this adorable waitress played by Lily James. And she comes in singing the song as he's sitting there listening to his iPod. And um, he starts talking to her and he's like, what's your name? And then as soon as she hears, as soon as he hears her name, he's like, oh, like the song. And she's like, no, um, it's not that song. There's a bunch of different songs, but my name's not even spelled that way. And, um, you know, baby's like, oh, I haven't heard that one. And then they start talking about all the songs with Deborah, which is her name. And then she's like, well, what's your name? And he says, baby. And she's like, oh, well, you have everyone beat. You have all the songs about you. And you can tell like they're really cute and they're flirting and everything. The song is so intriguing to baby that he actually asked her like, what are you doing after this? And Deborah's like, oh, I'm going to go wash laundry. And so he goes with her and she plays him this crazy song by Beck called Deborah. This song is so weird. It is one of Beck's weirder songs on his, um, you know, he's he's so unique, but this is on one of his more eclectic albums. Um, this song was inspired by Prince's Adore and David Bowie's Win. And some of the lyrics are like about this guy wants to be with this girl named Deborah, but he's really interested in her sister. And it's just, it's a weird song. It's a weird song, but it's, it's a good song and it's such a groovy song that I like it. This song was released in November of 1999. Um, and like I said, it's, it's a really weird song. Um, it was released with the band The Dust Brothers for Odalay, but then uh, Beck decided to also put it on his own album. Um, so he actually wrote it in 1996, but it wasn't released to the public until 1999 um, on his album Midnight Vultures. And it is like I said about a girl he meets named Jenny who works at a store, JC Penny, and he wants to get with her and her sister, Deborah, <laughs> which is, you know, super unique. <laughs> right. right. So there's not a whole lot of information about this song, but um, it's got a great bass line. It's super groovy, which, of course, you know, Beck. He does all of that himself because he's a musical genius, actually. He um, plays more than 12 instruments. For those of you who don't know, Beck is an American singer, songwriter, musician, and record producer. He kind of came to fame in like the early 90s um, with his kind of experimental um lo-fi and using like folk and funk and alt rock and everything into one. Um, he's released 14 studio albums, um, as well as some non-album singles and some, um, like sheet music. He writes a lot of different kind of, um, I guess almost like composers, like orchestra type music right? Like scores? Yeah, like scores. I'm sorry. Thank you. Lost my train of thought. Um, he was born and raised in Los Angeles. 
And he grew up performing um, at like coffee houses and clubs and everything. He did move to New York City and that's where he kind of grew to fame um, with his single Loser, which is one of my favorites by him. Um, and what I love most about him is he's not afraid to like try his own thing and do his, like he's never interested in pleasing anybody or at least that's how it comes off. Like all of his music, everything is for him. Um, he does not particularly care about like what everyone's going to think. He's one of those who also has like their, his own following, his cult following, if you will. And he does what he wants and he knows the music that he likes to make. And that's what he sticks to. He's not a sellout. He's not going to change for anyone. And I absolutely respect him for that because that's so hard in the music scene. That's true. And it's and it's like you were saying earlier, like those like Beck is not for everybody. No. Beck is not for everybody. Beck, I'd say is while their music is not similar, I'd say they're they are similar in status. Like Beck and Moby are kind mm-hmm. of like the same as far as like having their own kind of cult following, like you said, having their own sound but also being experimental mm-hmm. and still maintaining that following. And you know, Beck doesn't care about commercial success. Absolutely. Um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was was there not like a similar feeling toward Loser, like the way Radiohead felt toward Creep with him? Because yes. Because Loser was not a representation of his body of work. Yep, it was not. That was like his one mainstream, you know? Right, right. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I respect Beck. Again, he's another one that I'm like, Sometimes he's hit or miss, but sometimes I can definitely jam back. Yeah. Um, but again, he's he doesn't he's hit or miss with a lot of people. Uh, but he doesn't need a lot of people to love him right. to be you know who he is. Yeah. He, yeah. All his music is for him. Absolutely, complete respect. So this song, like I said, it's a weird song, but I love it, and it just it's such a cute scene between Baby and Deborah, and you can already see like a change in Baby. Like you have seen him very quiet like yes he's kind of lip syncs and dances but he doesn't really interact with anyone um, but he talks a lot to Deborah, and they're so cute and so flirtatious um, just an adorable little couple and you know after this little laundromat date uh, baby goes home and he instantly puts the song on for his stepdad Joseph and he listens to it through the speaker which I think is so cute to feel like all the vibrations from the song and everything um, and he asks who baby is like, who are you swooning over? And so baby starts to tell him, um, and we see that someone's trying to call baby, but he's kind of ignoring those calls. And then finally he answers and it's doc telling him he has another job for him. So baby reluctantly agrees to go take this new job and he's introduced to a new crew. Um, the crew is Eddie, JD and bats who are played by flea. Um, Lanny June and Jamie Foxx and right away you could tell like these three are crazy like they are just the epitome of like what you would think bank robbers and you know criminals would be like they are assholes they're rude um, they are completely demeaning to baby like they don't have any respect for him like you're just the getaway driver you know 
type mm-hmm. attitude. And so Doc is explaining like the whole plan and Baby's listening to music the entire time. And you can see Bats, who's played by Jamie Foxx, just like giving him an attitude and asking, you know, like why he's allowed to wear headphones and why he's not listening. And then Doc looks at Baby and he's like, can you tell me what I said? And Baby like completely restates the entire thing exactly word for word, blowing everybody away because they thought that he wasn't listening. But you realize that it is just kind of like a coping mechanism. Then we learn that this is kind of like the last job that Baby needs to do for Doc because there's some kind of debt that we don't know about. Um, And so, you know, Baby's like really excited about that. And we pull up with the crew to this armored car that is, you know, switching out money like at an ATM or something. And this amazing song by Martha and the Vendellas called Nowhere to Run starts playing. So Nowhere to Run is a 1965 pop single by Martha and the Vendellas. It is a very popular Motown song, and it is one of the group's signature songs. Um, The song was written and produced by Motown's made production team of the Holland Dozer Holland, and it tells the story of a woman trapped in a bad relationship with a man that she cannot help but love. Uh, The song was released, like I said, in 1965 on February 10th. It was the A-side, unlike most of our B-sides. Um, and it was super, super, I know, right? Super, super popular. Um, it went on to reach number eight on the Billboard Pop Singles and number five on the R&B Singles. Um, you know, you might have heard some of their other songs like Dancing in the Street. I don't know if you know that one. This song was ranked 358 on Rolling Stones, the 500 greatest songs of all time. And it has been featured on a couple different movies. And it's also been covered uh, for The Warriors. It was also in Good Morning Vietnam, um, as well as a video game called Wolfenstein, which I don't really know much about. There's also a remixed version in the 2015 Boga. And of course, this song was actually the chosen song for the trailer of Baby Driver, which I thought was really cool that they went with this song. Um, Yes. So Martha and the Vandellas um, are an all female American vocal group that was formed in 1957. They didn't reach their fame in Motown until the 60s. They were all friends and then they kind of added on the other person, Martha, who helped them, you know, move up in the music world. Um, They've had several, several hits um, in Motown. Um, Some of their songs include Heat Wave, Quicksand, Dancing in the Street, Come and Get These Memories, um, and actually Dancing in the Street is considered their signature song. So that's why I asked you about that one. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) It's okay. They, um, They had over 26 different hits, and they were very popular for their kind of like doo-wop, their harmonies, their soul, um, pop, you know. They were able to reach different charts in all these different genres, and they've reached um, top 10 in the Billboard R&B singles chart for more than 10 of their songs, as well as two number ones for R&B and six for pop. They were also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 1995, which I thought was really cool. 
Um, they are actually still together and they perform every now and then. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Are they like the three old chicks that still do stuff in Vegas? Yes, I think so. Like they had, yeah, they mentioned in here that they did in Vegas. Yeah, I remember reading that. So I just thought it was so cool that they're still together. Of course, they took some hiatuses. Um, Is that the correct plural for that word? Hiatuses? Hiatuses? Uh, I don't know. Let's Google. Hiatus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hiatuses is a word. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I know that word. Perfect. Um, so they've <laughs> won, like I said, just numerous amounts of awards. They were inducted, um, like I said, back in 1995. They've won Grammys. They've also um, been called the 96th group on the 100 Greatest Artists of All Time, um, as well as one of the vocal groups that shaped rock and roll. Um, they're also in the Vocal Group Hall of Fame. They were inducted in 2003. Um, I like They just have impacted music in so many different levels, um, and they have amazing harmonies for those of you who don't know any of their songs. They literally are one of the main Motown and kind of doo-wop groups. Um, so definitely, I hope you guys love the song on our Spotify and all those other things. Um, and just one more really awesome fact, Dancing in the Street was actually included in the United States Library of Congress National Recording Registry for its historical, artistic, and cultural significance which I thought was really cool. So this group is very, very well known. Nowhere to Run is not as popular as like Dancing in the Street, but it's definitely one of their most popular songs. And I absolutely love the song for the scene that is happening. So they pull up to the armored car and while they're there, like you can tell something's wrong. And right away they say that they're supposed to be getting these Mike Myers masks. And who do you think of when you hear Mike Myers, Misa? When me personally, I think of Michael Myers, but I feel like this is going to take a turn. Exactly. It does. It takes a turn. <laughs> and they instead retreat with Austin Powers, Mike Myers masks, which is not <laughs> what they were supposed to get. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So guys, guys, for future reference, Michael Myers is the Halloween serial killer. Mike Myers is the actor from I Married an Ex-Murderer. <laughs> Thank you. Very easy to think of. So easy. I can completely understand how that went wrong. So, so yeah, automatically they're like, what the hell? You got the wrong masks. And so just like one thing after another, they're like, whatever, we have to do this job anyways. So baby is waiting in the car and he starts to put his music on. And these three go to try to rob the truck. Um, Bats, played by Jamie Foxx, ends up killing the guards and the three robbers frantically run back to the car. As they're getting back into the car, this guy in a truck out of nowhere starts shooting at them. Like he pulls kind of like a just, um, you know, a good citizen. He pulls out a gun. He starts to shoot them. He's witnessed everything that's going on. And not only that, but then he starts following them and this is a song that's playing that entire time um he chases them on the freeway he even causes them to get stuck under like an 18 wheeler bats tries to shoot at the driver of the car and baby 
pulls out to avoid this. They then have to abandon the car that they were in, steal a different car. Turns out there's a baby in that car. And they have to then hand the baby back to the lady. It's just like utter chaos. Everything that could go wrong does go wrong. But baby is able to get them out of all of this shit that's happening and gets them back to the parking garage and they separate and move into their separate cars and then they go back to the main place to meet Doc and get all of their money and everything. And this is when Doc gives him the final amount of money that he's going to make. He tells him to go and dispose of the car and then Baby is considered a free man after this point. Baby is so excited. He goes home. Joe can tell he's excited. And Baby tells him, like, I'm done with that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And Joe tells him, like, you know what? We should celebrate. We should get pizza. And Baby's like, I don't really want pizza. And Joe's like, no, you got to be a a pizza delivery boy and make your money an honest way. So Baby reluctantly agrees to do that. And you can see him delivering pizzas driving them super super fast because that's what he does and during this time we also get kind of like this montage of him going to visit Deborah and they're dating and getting closer baby starts taking Deborah out and he tells her that he wants to wine and dine her and take her to this super fancy restaurant so they go and as they're getting ready to pay the waiter comes up and he's like oh that gentleman over there picked up your tab and baby looks over and it's Doc. So he tells Deborah, like, let me go talk to him. And all the while, Deborah has no idea what he does for a living on the side. And Doc is like, I know you thought that you paid your debt off, but you're my best driver. And there's no way that I'm just going to let you not work for me anymore. And then he threatens baby. And he tells him that he knows all about Deborah and the restaurant she works at and all about Joe and everything like that. So baby realizes that there's no way that he can get out of this and he reluctantly agrees to do another job with Doc. Um, he learns that this next job, instead of being a bank, is going to be from a post office because you can steal money orders. Doc tells um baby that he's going to pull in the best people and this is going to be their last job ever because this job is supposed to be worth like millions and millions and millions. So we see that he pulls in um, Bats, who's played by Jamie Foxx. We see that he pulls in John Hamm, which is one of my favorite characters in this movie because he's such a sweetheart and he plays Buddy. And then we see his wife, Darling, which is played by Isaac Gonzalez. And those two were in the first opening scene. And they are told that they have to go get ready to go pick up all of this merchandise and everything from this warehouse. And there's a little bit of animosity between them because, you know, Bats is crazy. And, um, Darling and Buddy kind of respect Baby because he's such a good driver and, you know, he's just like a no-nonsense kid. Like, he doesn't talk shit. He doesn't talk much. Like, he's just – he's a good guy in the movie. And so they are told to go get some hardware. And then as they're there, they realize that something is not right and that's realizes that one of the guys there is actually like a cop and bats start shooting everybody up. And then, you know, 
Buddy, Darling, and Baby don't have any other choice but to shoot as well. So they shoot all these people who they're supposed to be getting guns from. And they get back in the car. Baby's driving, of course. And Bat's like, I'm hungry. Pull over. And it's the diner where Deborah works. Baby doesn't want anyone to know that he knows Deborah because obviously Bats is crazy and he doesn't trust, you know, Buddy or Darling because they literally just killed a bunch of people. So, you know, they're, he's kind of standoffish to her. Um, he doesn't talk to her and it's very like, she takes it as like, he doesn't like me anymore. She doesn't understand. But then he writes her like a note that says, I'll meet you later. So. He plans on leaving to go get away with Deborah. Bats figures out what's going on and tells Doc. And they're supposed to all be sleeping together to take on, you know, the post office, whatever. Um, and as he tries to sneak out, Bat also realizes that Baby has the recorder from the beginning. He knocks him out with his gun and Baby wakes up and you see Bats in a wheelchair, which is his, you know, foster stepdad, whatever. And you see him going through all of the tapes and Doc's like freaking out. And he's like, why did you record all of our conversations? And Baby says, you know, I just, I like turning them into music, whatever. Everyone is like, they play one and Doc and all of them are like, this is the stupidest shit I've ever heard, which is insane. It's a hilarious scene. And then Doc is like, you know, the, the heist is off. Like, we're not doing this job anymore. And Baby tells him, like, no, we're going to do it. It's happening. It is what it is. So, obviously, Deborah is left waiting for Baby, who never shows up. They head to the post office and everything is set to happen um, where Buddy is taking Darling inside and Batson's going to sneak around the back. Um, and Baby sees a teller who he happens to know there and he tries to like warn her. Like he doesn't say anything, but he just shakes his head at her. And the teller then like runs away with the guard. This is when um, Bats comes back out and shoots the guard. Cops are showing up. This is when like utter chaos happens. Darling and Buddy get back in the car and they tell him to drive, drive, drive. And Bats is in the car and he's like, fucking drive the car. And Baby rams the car into this like metal pole and it goes straight through Bats' chest. So then the cops are surrounding. Baby, Buddy, and Darling have to run on foot with these stolen money orders. They all take off. And obviously, you know, Buddy and Darling are pissed off at Baby for fucking everything up. They're literally running around trying to evade all these cops. And during all of this, um, Baby's able to steal a car. And so is Buddy and Darling. But Darling ends up getting shot and killed. And Buddy becomes completely enraged and just starts shooting at everybody while Baby gets away. Baby returns to his apartment to find Joseph on the floor. Everything's messed up. He hasn't been there since they basically went and like destroyed the apartment. And he apologizes. He tells him he's so sorry. And he lets him know that the police are searching for him. Um, he ends up taking Joe to a like a really nice nursing home and he uses all of his stolen money to pay for him to live there for the rest of his life 
and he leaves him like this recorder basically telling him like what his name is how he likes his sandwiches cut um like all of his favorites which is such a cute scene and you just see that like baby really is a good kid um who just got mixed up in some bad stuff he then goes from there to go find Deborah, and he sees Buddy sitting at the counter with a gun and he tells baby that he's going to pay for getting Darling killed and he threatens Deborah. As all this is happening, a cop happens to enter and then um, baby ends up shooting the cop and like Buddy runs away. Deborah and baby run away and they try to go to Doc to get help, but Doc tells them no at first, and then he tells Baby, like, you're a good kid. I just want you to get out of here. So all of this happens, and eventually Buddy corners Deborah and Baby. They fight. They get away. Deborah and Baby are literally just driving as fast as they can to anywhere. They're just trying to get away from everyone. And Baby passes out for, like, three days because he's just exhausted and when he wakes up they play one of my favorite covers of easy by lionel richie and it's performed by sky ferreira i know it sounds funny but just can't stand the pain and i'm leaving you tomorrow so obviously Easy was written by Lionel Richie. It was originally performed by the Commodores. Um, Lionel Richie was known for writing all of their songs and they are another Motown group. Um, this song was released on March 18th, 1977 on the B-side. <laughs> um, of course, you know, um, which is so crazy to me because I, I thought this was like, you know, an A-side song, but it is a B-side. And it actually spent a couple weeks at the number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot Soul Singles. Um, and it peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1975. Um, this song, like, literally just paved the way for more of Lionel Richie's ballads that he had, such as, like, Three Times a Lady and Still. Um, and then this ultimately led Richie to realize that he had... Uh, he was good at writing, you know, those ballads that everyone loved. And this, you know, led him to believe that he could do his solo, which he went on and became super popular doing that also. Um, another one of these covers that I love is by Faith No More. They covered Easy back in 1992. Um, and that actually did chart. It became a top 10 hit in lots of different countries, including the U.S. And it peaked at number 58 on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, this song is, it's, it's actually not like the way I took it. I thought it was written about like sex, but it's not. I don't know if you thought the same. Well, what's it about? It's actually just about a guy who's breaking up with a girl. Oh. It's supposed to express how a man feels at the end of a relationship. And, um, rather than being depressed, he states that, you know what, it's kind of like the time was ready. So I guess maybe Richie's describing, um, Maybe something that happened to him, like a relationship that he should have ended but didn't, um, which I thought was interesting. It wasn't, it's not the way I take that song at all. Well, do you listen to it differently now? No, I still don't hear it that way. <laughs> you still hear it like it's about sex. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> Weird. So Lionel Richie, who originally wrote this song and was a part of the Commodores, is an American singer, songwriter, composer, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, and actor. Um, he did start with the Commodores, like I said, and he was one of the main songwriters. Um, he then went on to do his solo albums. Richie has sold over 90 million records worldwide throughout his career, making him one of the world's best-selling artists of all time. He's won several Grammy Awards throughout his career. Um, he has also won awards for um, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which includes the highest honor, and that is the Johnny Mercer Award. He is just a phenomenal songwriter, composer, um, and he is still very, very well known for um, touring and performing, and he's just, like, that's what he's done his entire life. He's an awesome, awesome performer. This song um, that is played in Baby Driver is actually the version that is covered by Sky Ferreira, and it is such a beautiful, beautiful rendition, um, and Sky is an American singer, songwriter, model, and actress. And this was actually her first song that she sang for a movie soundtrack, which I thought was really cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, she also has a small role. She plays the flashback for um, Baby's Mom. And while the song is playing, you get the flashback of what happened to his parents and why he is in foster care and why he has the condition he does. Um, and I don't want to give away too much information. So the song plays and they get to a roadblock where there are tons of cops waiting. And Deborah is like, we can drive super fast and like just run them over and do whatever we need to do. And baby tell her, tells her, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of driving. I just want to stop. And so he turns himself over to the police and you see him go through the court system and um, everyone comes and says that he's such a good kid and he's such a good guy. And he still ends up getting 25 years. Um, with a chance for parole. And so we see the sentencing and we see him get, um, you know, in all of his prison gear and everything. And the ending scene is, Ed Edgar says that it's kind of up for interpretation. Um, to me, it looks like kind of like a dream sequence where you see him getting out of prison. And he hasn't aged, of course, and Deborah is there waiting in this amazing classic car. Um, and he walks out to her from prison and she says, are you ready to just go drive around and listen to all the music? And he walks over to her and he kisses her and Baby Driver by Simon and Garfunkel starts playing. <laughs> and takes us to our end credits. Simon and Garfunkel are an American duo 
um, that consisted of singer-songwriter Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. They are considered one of the best-selling music groups of the 1960s, with some of their biggest hits including The Sound of Silence, Mrs. Robinson, The Boxer, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Um, several of their songs reached number one. They actually met in elementary school, which I thought was really cool, that they like literally grew up together. And then they started writing songs and singing together when they were in high school. They were signed to Columbia Records, and they are considered one of the most influential, um, you know, pop duo that started the paveway for, you know, our um, Hall and Oates. <laughs> Correct me if you will, oh, Daryl Hall, John <laughs> Oates. <laughs> Are Simon and Garfunkel cool with being called Simon and Gar? I'm surprised it's not the same conditions. I didn't want to be called. I didn't read anything about you know their stipulations with their name. I'll have to reach out to them and find yeah. out for sure though. <laughs> Can you get back to me on that? Thank of you course, I will. I will. They have won <laughs> over ten Grammy awards and were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the 1990s. They um, had several of their songs on the Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, of course, and they have an album bridge over troubled water that's ranked number 51 on the rolling stones 500 greatest albums of all time they are described as the most successful folk rock duo of the 1960s specifically um they were kind of very folky um and again i know that they're super popular but they're not for everyone so i thought that was interesting maybe that was just kind of like the music back then um, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's, I think it's not only like the era that they came from and therefore like their listeners at the time, mm-hmm. um, but then also, you know, um, you know, they're, they're folky, folky isn't for everybody. Um, it, it I don't know. Some people maybe just like, uh, I mean, it's, I guess it's just kind of like people who prefer burgers over pasta. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's, it's just one of those things, like, I'm not, I'm not saying they're either burger or pasta, but, <laughs> um, but I get, I get it. Like, I could definitely, Simon and Garfunkel is really cool, chill music. Like, um, if I'm trying to concentrate on something or if I want to be like, if I want to be like pseudo therapeutic kind of mm-hmm. pensive mood, Simon and Garfunkel is, is, is a good little like record to record to spin. Totally um, agreed. Yeah, it's it like like you said, it's not they're not for everybody. Right. But music is subjective. I completely agree with you. So this song, Baby Driver, was considered um it is on the Bridge Over Troubled Water album. It's on the side two, so that's considered the B side. It's not a super popular song of theirs. Um it's kind of an up tempo, happy rock and roll song. It's about a boy who lives a comfortable life and he's going off for adventure. Um, and that's about all the information I could find out about Baby Driver. And I do want to just say this, that Edgar Wright did not name this movie Baby Driver after this song. Two completely separate entities. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, because I was, I was going to say, like, oh, it's so fitting that it ends with the song that they... Mm-hmm. I, I guess I thought it was like an allusion to... Did he know he was going to use that song when he named the movie? He did not. <laughs> he chose the song after, which I thought was interesting, right? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. and so that ends our movie. Um, a couple fun facts. Um, 
Jamie Foxx would often just sit and stare at Kevin Spacey because he did such an amazing job playing Doc and he would kind of like fangirl over him, which I thought was completely cute. The song Easy, being in the movie and on the soundtrack, was requested by Ansel Elgort because it is one of his favorite songs and so Edgar included it because of that. Um, all of the gunshots in this film are, of course, in time with the music, which I love. <laughs> I yeah. love that he pays so much attention. There is absolutely no CGI or green screen used in this film for the car chase sequences. All of the driving was done by stunt drivers. I love that. Same. That is awesome. That is awesome. Same. So and furious. <laughs> yes, same. I love it. I love it so much. Um, and I know that you mentioned last time that Edgar loves Queen. There is a Queen song and here it is on my honorable mention. It's Brighton Rock by Queen. It even has a whole scene where John Hamm and Ansel talk about the song and how it's one of uh, baby's favorite songs, which I thought was, of course, that's what was going on through my mind last time when you were talking about. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Um, another fun fact, like I said, Edgar spent over 20 years planning this movie, um, and he was very specific about his music choice, and he wanted to make sure that everything worked with the film, and I absolutely respect and love that he did that. Um, he did start writing the film back in 1995, but the script wasn't finished until 2011, um, and he put his heart and blood and soul and sweat and everything into this film. Um, there is a little bit of an homage to Shaun of the Dead, and that is the famous opening scene where Shaun walks to the shop and then back home in one shot. They did the same thing for this movie with Baby. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's so much more about this movie that I thought was fun, but I'm going to go ahead and end it here because I know I've talked a lot. This is a long film. There's a lot that goes on, but it is a great action-packed film. And I really, really hope that you guys go and watch it. Um, and, is it streaming anywhere? Um, there are some places that you can find it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure if I dig, I'm sure if I dig deep enough, I can stumble upon it somewhere. I don't know. You can anyway rent um, it from Amazon Prime, and it is free if you have a Hulu subscription. It's on Hulu. I just looked. Oh, it up. well, then I'm gonna watch it on Hulu. There you go. Awesome. So that is Yay. Baby Driver. I hope you enjoyed it. Even though you haven't seen it, I hope you go and watch it sometime, Nisa. I will when the time comes. When the timing is right. Yes, ma'am. So, so now it's my turn, and Steffi, shout out to Steffi, she guessed my movie. Did she really? Yeah, she texted me. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, well, the thing is, I saw it with her, okay. um, if I am remembering correctly. So this is a movie, of course, that I love. It is a comedy. Um, so at the time that I chose this movie, again, we were going to, we were going to cover these movies prior to what should have been spring break. Um, 
And so uh, I I picked this movie because I thought it had perfect road trip songs, um, which I think is cool because you ended up doing a movie with like a lot of cars. Well, my movie has motorcycles. So um, I thought that was kind of funny. Again, a movie that I saw with my friend Steffi, who is another one of my best friends. I've known her since like high school. She's probably listening to this right now. And if she's not, she's a bad friend. <laughs> and um, I remember like we, it was like, it came out when we were in high school and we went to this dollar cinema that I used to love and we went and saw it and we just thought it was hilarious. Like it's, it's, it's a great comedy. And after we covered, uh, after what was whatever episode it was, I really just needed some comedic relief, (laughs) um, from, from like just emotionally heaviness, Um, so I decided to choose this comedy that I love called Wild Hogs. Oh my gosh. And it's from 2007. Do you love this movie? Do you know this movie? I own it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have seen it a couple times. Um, that is so funny. I do not remember everything about it. I know it's got John Travolta, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Tim Allen, um, Martin Mm -hmm. Lawrence, right? William Macy. Um, like I know that it's really funny. I I can't remember specifics right now, but I have seen it. I do own it. So hopefully that'll start like getting my mind back onto what happened. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully I can, I can trigger some of the funny moments because this movie is so funny guys. Um, so like I said, it is Wild Hogs from 2007, directed by Walt Becker. And so, yeah, Frankie basically named the entire core cast. We have Tim Allen, who plays Doug. We have John Travolta, who plays Woody. Martin Lawrence plays Bobby. And William H. Macy plays Dudley. Um, in addition to them, we also have Ray Liotta, who plays oh, Jack. Yes. We have Marissa Tomei, who plays Maggie. We have... Steven Tobolowski, who, guys, you would recognize this guy. He's that guy, quote-unquote. Like, he's been on SVU. He's been in movies. He's he's always either, like, a strict authoritarian figure or, like, a, a measly, like, kind of pushover, like, geeky character. Um, so I'll, I'll post a photo. You'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, then we also have Jason Sklar and Randy Sklar, who play Earl and Buck. We have Kevin Durand, who plays Red, and MC Ganey, who plays Murdoch. And in addition to these guys, we also have a cameo by Paul Tuttle Sr. and Paul Tuttle Jr., who, if you follow, I guess it's called American Choppers. Mm-hmm. It's like a motorcycle show. Okay, it's like a motorcycle reality show, right? Yeah. Hey, are they the guys from the meme? I think so, yeah. Are they the guys that are arguing? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Okay. The, yeah. Like, or they're that, pointing yeah. their fingers out. Like, yeah. And they're arguing in their office chairs, and then one of them leaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. Those guys, it's definitely the old guy. That guy in the meme is in this movie for like a split second. All right, guys. So, um, this movie is hilarious. So, this is basically about uh, these four guys who uh, Doug, Woody, Bobby, and Dudley. They are kind of reaching middle-aged status. Um, They're suburbanites, so they have, you know, nice houses, and most of them are married with kids. But they all have their own, like, they're approaching their midlife crisis, I guess you could say. And so they all have their own issues. Um, So 
just throwing out there, by the way, um, my sources for a lot of my research included uh, loudersound.com, the Wild Hogs DVD bonus features, Wikipedia, which I donated to today because I use them a lot. And I know this is a weird time right now. So I made my donation to Wikipedia and I encourage you guys to do the same. I also use songfacts.com and YouTube. So um, we begin the movie with the Wild Hogs. We meet Doug, Woody, Bobby, and Dudley. Doug, who is played by Tim Allen, um, he's a dentist, um, and he is he has to eat healthy because his uh, like his cholesterol levels are all over the place, and he also has a son who is probably like preteen age, and his son thinks he's uncool, um, so Doug is struggling with his identity at this point. Uh, Doug used to be like a total stoner wild man in college. Uh, Bobby, who is played by Martin Lawrence, um, is like jobless. He wants to write a book, but it's just not panning out. And his wife, who is played by the woman who played Pam in Martin, mm-hmm. um, they they get casted a lot together. They work together a lot, so it's fun. It's fun to see her again. And of course, neither of them have aged a bit. Um, and so she's his wife, and she's a bitch. Like <laughs> she bosses him around. She talks to him like he's a dog. And so she got him his job back as a plumber because she told him, like, hey, your year is up. You didn't write that book. You need to move on. You need to make money. And so he is just kind of, like, dominated by his wife in the worst way. Um, Then we have Dudley, who's played by William H. Macy. And he's a nerd. He's so awkward. He can't talk to women. He's, He's just a geek. He gets like that old fashioned rainbow apple tattooed on him. Like he's just a fucking square. Um, Just, yeah, he's hopeless. And then we have Woody who is John Travolta. And uh, I have watched this movie so many times and I swear they never say what his job was. All they say is that he's broke. He lost all his clients and he has no money, but they never actually say what he was. I'm guessing he might've been like an investor. I don't, I have no idea, but he's, he, whatever it was, like he doesn't have it anymore. And then he has apparently like this supermodel wife um, and he hasn't told his friends yet, but she actually left him about 10 months ago. So he is just down on his luck completely. Right. So we begin the movie and we learn all these guys and their frustrations and Doug talks to his wife about how, like, he, like, his son doesn't relate to him. His son doesn't think he's cool. So then he, like, looks at his wife and he's like, what do I have to do to relate to my own son? And then he goes over to the closet and he opens the door and he finds his leather jacket with the wild hogs patch on the back. That's the first song I learned how to play on Guitar Hero, FYI. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So um, so he opens his closet door. He finds the jacket and he smiles because he's like, okay, I'm going to go see my buddies. So we cut to the four wild hogs, Bobby, Dudley, Woody, and Doug. And they all have their jackets on and they're all riding through the city. And they look badass. It's like a group of four motorcyclists and they're just kind of cruising. And so they're on their way to their usual biker bar that they always go to. And so they pull over, stop in a parking lot, and Dudley, uh, again, the geeky one, 
he like revs up his motorcycle. He's like, hey guys, how does this sound? And he starts to rev it up and he ends up like, I guess, letting go of the brake and he just like zoom crashes right into like a fucking pole and the bike flips and he falls off and they're just like watching him. <laughs> like, And he gets up and he's like, I'm okay. I hit my butt. <laughs> so it's a really brief scene. You get to see them riding together as a group um, mm -hmm. and kind of start to see the bond that they share. So a slow ride is by the British rock band Foghat. This was the lead single from their fifth album, Fool for the City, released in 1975. The single version is three minutes and 56 seconds long. The LP version is eight minutes and 14 seconds long. Um, I actually found a video of their live performance of this and it is an amazing 12 minutes long and it looks like so much fun. Like the band, they look like they're having an awesome time just playing, you know, together in front of the live crowd. And then like at the end, they take a bow and everyone just looks really happy. Um, so this is, it's a really cool feel good song and you can tell that they felt good playing it. So the song came from a jam session uh, and Nick Jameson, who was the new bassist at the time, had a large part in arranging and completing the song. The rhythm of the song was inspired by a John Lee Hooker riff. The band were halfway through recording the song in Vermont when the power went out, and so three weeks later they went back and finished it. Foghat is a band that formed in London in 1971, and at the time of the recording it consisted of Lonesome Dave Heverett, Rod Price, Nick Jameson, and Roger Earl. Through the years, the band has had multiple lineup changes, like most bands, of course, at mm -hmm. this point. Um, but as a band, Foghat has received eight gold records, one platinum record, and one double platinum record. Wow. The head of Bearsville Records said that he liked this song, but he told them, you cannot have an eight-minute single. And they said, quote, fuck off yes we can <laughs> and <laughs> so the band ended up winning the argument but the radio stations ended up cutting it down anyway drummer roger earl says of course slow ride is about sex all rock and roll songs are about sex aren't they it's either i've i just done it or i'm thinking about doing it or thank you for letting me do it it was inspired by women he's honest he's the fucking rock star life he's honest the guitar, if you listen back to the song uh, with that new context, or at least with that um, confirmed context in mind, you'll notice that the guitar riffs actually change speed and they climax as though simulating a session, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so with the success of the song, Roger Earl bought himself a 1971 Lambo Mira SV. The song was a success, to say the least. Um, <laughs> song has been featured in a Honda commercial, Guitar Hero 3, Legends of Rock, which you said, is that what you played it on? Yes, ma'am. That is awesome. So, um, yeah, so it was on that game, which Frankie mastered. Mastered. Um, and actually, the song was also used by various burger places, which Earl said that Dave probably would not have been happy about because he's a vegetarian. <laughs> So I hope they're serving those impossible burgers. They better be. Um, the song peaked at number 20 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and it hit number 14 on Canada's top singles. It was named the 45th best hard rock song of all time by VH1 in 2009. 
and Foghat are still active to this day. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, gotta love those those bands with the longevity. Yes. So the guys are at the bar, they're sitting around, and John Travolta's character, Woody, again, still hasn't told his friends that he's broke and that he's been left and all that shit. So he's just sitting there, kind of pathetic, and he's telling them, like, he's tired of the same old stuff. He doesn't want to come to this bar anymore. You know, it's stupid. And then he's like, you know, let's put some real miles on those bikes. And that's when Doug is like, you want to take a road trip? And so they all kind of start like coming up with their excuses. And Woody's like, all right, guys, whatever. I thought you guys wanted to be bikers. He gets up and leaves. And then one of their friends comes up to them and he's like, oh, by the way, we're wearing these black bands for a fellow patron of the bar who recently died last week. And when he walks away, like it really starts to settle in that like they're getting older. And Doug is like, hey, that guy was our age. So they end up uh, agreeing to go on the road trip. So that changes their minds. Um, So they hit the road, uh, all four of them. They toss their cell phones. So none of them have GPS. None of them have any way of contacting anyone. They're basically cutting all contact with the outside world, and they're going to ride to the coast. So they're going to go from Connecticut to California. So um, they end up hitting the road. They end up stopping at a camp. And the camp scene is so funny because, like, Dudley is an environmentalist. So he, like, comes out of the woods with, like, a plastic bag of shit. And he's like, guys, this is poop. So don't eat it. (laughs) They're like, dude, you're supposed to bury that. He's like, I'm not going to bury plastic. I'm not going to put this in the earth. I'll find a trash can tomorrow. And, 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 and Woody's like, you, no, you got to put that up in a tree or something. He's like, well, what if a bear gets it? He's like, bears don't eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Dudley is just like, he's hilarious. And they end up burning down their tent. And it's just a catastrophe already. Um, they all wake up from camping and like they meet a cop who is like, He's, he's played by John C. McGinley, who if you're a fan of Scrubs, he's Dr. Cox and, you know, he's been in a few other things. But he's so funny as the cop because he he's gay. So he, like, wants to get in on their group and he thinks they're, like, a group of, like, cup, like couples? Like, a quad mm-hmm. group? Or what do you call it? Polyamory, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And <laughs> so he, he wants in on it. And so they're like, uh, you know, sorry, you know, five, five's an uneven number. <laughs> like, they try to play it off. And so he, but he, like, really likes them. So he he takes off. He leaves them alone. And so as they're getting ready to leave the campsite, they actually see a big group of bikers. And these guys look rough. Like, a lot of them have, like, beards. And they're old and young. And they all have these, like, souped-up bikes. And they just look awesome. They look badass. And so a bunch of them just ride by. And so um, the wild hogs end up driving a little further out and they find like this water waterfall, like lake type thing. So they all end up swimming naked. <laughs> and it's really funny because a, a family stops by <laughs> and like the mom is like, oh, do you gentlemen like potato salad? We've got extra. <laughs> and so then, like, the dad realizes that they're naked and he's like, all right, let's get out of here. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> And so, like, the guys are, like, I'm, the guys are trying to apologize, like, sorry, I didn't want to do this. And then, like, as they're leaving, Dudley's, like, I bet her potato salad was really good. <laughs> and then Doug's, like, we should leave. And Bobby's, like, why? They're not coming back. And then next thing you know, the cop shows up and he's naked. 
<laughs> he's like, go. forget about them. Yeah, he's like, forget about them. It's just us now. So he jumps in and they're like, uh. And so, like, none of them want to go near him. Nobody wants to touch him. Everybody's naked. And so he's like, oh, I see. And he covers his eyes. He's like, Marco. <laughs> and then Dudley's like, Polo. <laughs> And so they all have to like jump. They quietly try to jump out of the lake. And so they they hit the road. They jump on their bikes. They put their clothes on and they're fucking like gone. And so they get a little further down the road and they end up finding a biker bar. And this is like a real biker bar. And this is actually where all those motorcyclists that they saw ended up. Because this bar belongs to the Del Fuegos, which is a motorcycle gang. And so the wild hogs walk in and they don't realize when they walk in that the bar is pretty much exclusively Del Fuego's. Mm -hmm. So they stick out like a fucking sore thumb. Uh, I don't even know if I'm using that expression properly, but (laughs) totally. They're noticeable. And so they walk in and they sit down. And this is when we meet Ray Liotta, who plays Jack. And Ray Liotta looks fucking great. He's wearing, like, sleeveless shirt, and he's all tatted up. Uh, now there's a face you can sit on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> should have our swoon moment, can we? Swoon. Yeah. He's aged well. Oh, my gosh. He so has. He so has. Um. So they sit down. He comes over to them. He's like, I haven't seen you guys around here before. And so at first they try to play it off. They're like, yeah, we're just we're just trying to drive to the coast. And so he ends up sitting with them. And he's got his two backup guys. One of them is Red and the other one is Murdoch. And Red is like a tall, bald, kind of goofy. He's like the dumb right-hand man. Like, for example, like, I'll use The Simpsons. Like, when Bart says something catchy and Milhouse tries to back it up with something also clever, but it's not, mm-hmm. that's Red. Gotcha. <laughs> so so every time Jack says something, Red tries to, like, add to it. And then it's like, dude, just stop. Um, so Red and Murdoch are with him, and they're trying to – they're being really hostile. Um, and then Dudley, who was at the bar, he joins them and he's acting like nothing's going on because he's just happy-go-lucky and he's totally naive and innocent. So he comes and sits with them. And he ends up talking to Jack about this really nice bike in the front that he saw that he was admiring. And Jack's like, oh, that's my 48. And Dudley's like, oh, that's a sweet ride. And Jack's like, hey, I'll trade you for it. And and the rest of the guys are like, no, 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 Dudley, he's not, he's not going to trade you your sportster for that. Like, don't don't go for it, right? But Dudley, of course, is naive and he believes in the good of people, I guess. So mm-hmm. he he takes him on. He's like, yeah, you're on. So they go outside, and it turns out that the bike that Jack was talking about is like on on cinder blocks. It doesn't even have wheels. It's not even running. It's a piece of shit. And he's like, oh no, this is the bike I was trading you for. And that's when Dudley's like, oh, I thought you were talking about the other one. And that's when Jack goes off on them. And he's like, you know, you know what your problem is? You guys are a bunch of suburbanites. You're not even real bikers. You're posers. You don't belong here. You know, like he's talking about the legacy of Blade, who is the man who started the whole bar. He started Del Fuegos and they don't belong there. And so he starts calling them out and he starts talking about how um, oh, Bobby, I bet you're henpecked, right? Your wife wears the pants. And Bobby's like, you know my wife? <laughs> I'm like, so Jack just starts picking them apart. He's like, go ahead, go back to where you came from. And the wild hogs were like, okay, well, we're just going to 
we're going to head out and keep going our way and you go your way. And Jack's like, no, you didn't hear me. You go back home. I don't want to see you on these roads again. So they keep Dudley's bike. And next thing we see is like Woody with the sidecar and Dudley's in the sidecar. <laughs> so, so they're heading back. So they're actually listening to them. They're heading back to Connecticut. They don't get very far because you can still see the bar in the background. But Woody's like, no, this is bullshit. Um, so he's like, oh, I'm going to go back and get that bike. And they're like, yeah, you, you go ahead. And Bobby's like, nah, he's going to have to roll with that little sidecar. <laughs> they're like, no, we're not fucking with them. And Woody's like, no, I'm going to go back. So Woody goes back on foot. So Woody sneaks back to the Del Fuego bar and he sneaks around to the back and he looks through the window to make sure that they're all preoccupied. And then he spots Dudley's bike with the keys still in it. And so uh, he inches towards it. He grabs a pair of pliers and he starts sneaking in between all the bikes and he cuts the gas lines on some of the motorcycles. And he's like, come after us now, assholes. And then he takes Dudley's bike and he just quietly wheels it away. So the wild hogs are a little further down the highway and they see him. And so they're like, oh my God, he got it back. He got it back. And Woody drives up and he's like, he looks at Dudley. And he's like, who's your daddy? And Dudley's like, you are my daddy. <laughs> um, so Wanted, Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi is the third single from the 1986 album Slippery When Wet. I too am slippery when wet. The song was written by John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. John Bon Jovi has said, Turn the Page by Bob Seger is considered the band's anthem, and it was the inspiration for this song. He has said that he heard the song while he was on tour, and he told Richie, we got to write a song like this. Wow. John Bon Jovi is a fan of the Old West stories and heroes, and he says the title alludes to them, as well as how he feels people love and hate him. So uh, he says there are similarities between rock bands and outlaws. Quote, a young band of thieves riding into town, stealing the money, the girls, and the booze before the sun came up. Wow. Yeah. So I like that he, he kind of took those uh, similarities and he alluded to them with the song and the title. So And the themes. Definitely. Um, so the music video is actually all black and white, and it features footage from the 1986-1987 tour. Um, and it's lots of footage of shows and the fans, but we also see the other side of touring, uh, the lesser known and lesser seen side of touring, uh, where the band is tired. We see them stretching. We see them playing guitar in their hotel rooms, just kind of having downtime. Uh, John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora have also recorded a live acoustic version of this, and it appears on the Slippery When Wet special edition. This song has been certified platinum four times by RIAA as of 2015. Um, this was used as the theme song for Discovery Channel's Deadliest Catch TV show. Cool. Um, Bon Jovi is an American rock band, for those who don't know, and they have been active since 1983, and they have lots of awards and accomplishments to their name. They are a very, very decorated group of musicians. Mm -hmm. um, they won the 1988 American Music Award for Favorite Pop Slash Rock Band Slash Duo Slash Group. 
Um, in 2004, they won the American Music Award of Merit. They won for Billboard Awards Top Touring Artist in 2014. They won Humanitarian Awards, Top Tour Awards, Top Draw, Best International Group at the Brit Awards in 1996. They were nominated many times for Grammys, but won for Best Country Collaboration with Vocals in 2007 for Who Says You Can't Go Home with Jennifer Nettles. Who says um, you can't go home? <laughs> I actually really like that song. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, MTV VMA. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> they won the MTV VMA for Best Stage Performance in a Video for Living on a Prayer in 1987. And in 1991, they received the Video Vanguard Award, which most men know, most already know, but is an award recognizing accomplishments in music and film. Uh, so, yeah, man, Bon Jovi's it. <laughs> so cool. Um, this actually, this whole soundtrack just led me down a rabbit hole of, like, Bon Jovi and a lot of other, like, classic rock bands. And it's great to see them, like, to this day still going mm -hmm. like a lot of the bands we've covered today like a lot of them are still active so I think that's really awesome it absolutely is timeless so as soon as they get Dudley's bike back they're like well hey how did you do it how did you bargain with them and Woody claims that he threatened legal action on them if they tried to hurt them or if they tried to take back the bike or keep the bike. So, you know, if they wanted to challenge them, then Woody was going to call his lawyer. Mm -hmm. So he claims that the Del Fuegos immediately backed off when they heard that. So he doesn't tell them anything about stealing the bike. He doesn't tell them about the gas lines. And so they all get on their bikes and they head out the way they were going and they head toward the coast. <laughs> So they end up hitting the road, and they're heading back out the way they were going originally. So they have to pass the Del Fuego bar again. And so as they're passing by, Jack hears the motorcycles, and he looks out the window, and he's like, son of a bitch. And so he runs out, and all the Del Fuegos follow him. And he stands out in front of the bar with everybody, and they all come out to see the wild hogs ride by. <laughs> So first, Doug rides by, and he's just kind of smiling at them because they think that they're, like, good now. Like, they think that there's, like, peace between them, so they're just kind of, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and Bobby rides by, and he's smiling. So to the Del Fuegos, it just looks really cocky, but the wild hogs think that they're good. Um, so then, um, then Dudley rides by on his bike, and he's, like, he honks at them, and he's, like, thanks, guys. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> waving at them. And then finally, Woody rides by and he just gives them the finger as he's riding by. And it's so funny. And so Jack is like dumbfounded. He's watching them ride by. He's got this like barely flaming cigarette in his mouth, like hanging out of his mouth. And he's like, and he, he watches them and he's like, those assholes got balls. <laughs> and then Red, who again, like I said, is like the dumb right hand man. Red's like, that I'm going to put in my mouth and chew on. Oh, God. <laughs> and Jack, Jack looks at him and he's like, you're going to put what in your mouth? <laughs> and then he punches him in the face.
then he's like, come on. And so Jack tells everybody to hop on their bikes and they're going to go after them. So everybody hops on their motorcycle. And so Jack starts to head out down the driveway and onto the road. But before he can get on the road, his bike starts to sputter. And then a lot of the other bikes start to sputter too. And when he stops and looks down, the cigarette falls out of his mouth and he notices that the gas line has been cut and that it's leaking all the way down. And so when the cigarette falls, like it immediately lights all the gas on the pavement. And he's like, oh shit. And he gets up off the bike and he tells everybody to get out of the bar, get out of the bar, get away from the bar. It's going to blow up. And sure enough, the flame just follows the trail of gasoline and this fucking explosion is epic. Like this, I'll get into the details of the explosion later, but this explosion is fucking huge. No CGI. Wow. This was all done, thankfully, in one take. And like I said, I'll, I'll go into detail in a second. Um, but the bar completely blows up. It just goes into flames up. And like, foul, I don't even know how many feet high this fire was. The bar goes up and it is ash when it's done. Like, That's crazy. And the Del Fuegos run away into the road, like, you know, to avoid the falling debris and shit. And then as, um, as the wild hogs are driving away, Woody, of course, was the last one. He looks in his rearview mirror and he sees the bar, like, he sees the fire go up. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he realizes what he's done. Um, and so then, like, he catches up to the three other guys, and the three others actually have just stopped at a gas station, which is just a little further up. And so they're all about to, like, load up on gas. They're about to, like, stop and get snacks. And Woody rides up, and he's like, hey, guys, come on, we got to go, because he thinks the Del Fuegos are already on their way, like, coming after them. And he's like, come on, we got to hit the road. And he's just, like, ready to go. Like, he's scared now, and he doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want them to find out what happened. And so they're like, well, wait, I want to get gas. I want to get water. And he's like, no, let's go. Let's hit the road. And so he just like revs up his motorcycle and takes off without them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you, of course, you can imagine John Travolta being hype like that. Like, you know exactly what it looked like. Yes. And so they're like, oh, shit. So then they're like, okay, well, so they don't, they don't stay behind. They actually go after him. And what they don't realize is that there was a sign that said, that was the last gas station for 200 miles. Of course. <laughs> so, of course, it leads to comedic hijinks. Um, so throughout that whole scene, of course, what we had playing was the classic Highway to Hell by ACDC. Love it. Uh, this song, of course, by the Australian hard rock band, not only was it featured on the band's sixth studio album of the same name, but this was also the opening track. The song was recorded in spring of 1979, and it would be released as a single on July 27, 1979. This was their first album not to be recorded in Australia, but rather in London. This was the first song by ACDC to chart in the U.S. With the success and exposure the song brought the album, seven million copies were sold in America. Wow. In addition to it being their sixth album, it was also their last with singer Bon Scott. This song was written by guitarist Angus Young, Malcolm Young, and Bon Scott. Angus wrote the famous guitar riff, of course. There are two backstories to what this song is about, or at least how it came to be. So that's, 
The band tirelessly toured to promote their music, and the schedule made Angus Young feel like he was on a highway to hell. Another explanation is how Highway to Hell is the nickname for Canning Highway in Australia, Mm. and Bon Scott lived on that street, and at the other end of that street was a pub called The Raffles, which he frequented. Um, And so it was kind of like that the route from his house to that bar was considered, quote-unquote, a highway to hell. Um, And then actually, there was a real highway to hell at the time of the song's release. It was called Route 666, and it ran through Arizona and Utah. The route has since been renumbered after various ghost stories and unexplained happenings. Of course. Oh, isn't that fascinating? That's so cool. <laughs> I love it. Yes. So uh, a little bit of backstory on the band, of course. The original ACDC lineup, when they began in 1974, was Dave Evans, who the band decided was more of a glam rocker, like Gary Glitter, and they didn't think that he fit. So Bon Scott, who was actually one of their roadies at the time, joined, and he sang on every album up until Highway to Hell. Less than a year after the album's release, Bon Scott did pass away. There are various theories as to how he died. Uh, The official cause was acute alcohol poisoning, though there are stories that suggest that Bon was on heroin the night of his death and that that's what killed him. Uh, There is also some suspicion around the acquaintance, uh, whose name was Alasdair Kinnear, um, who he was with that night, uh, whose car Bond fell asleep in, and who has not been heard from since Bond Scott's death. Wow. Yeah, really weird stuff. I um, I found a few videos on YouTube, documentary style uh, videos about the controversy behind his death and just the tragedy. Um, if you guys have a few minutes to kill in quarantine, you know, and mm-hmm. something that you want to look into, uh, I definitely recommend checking some of that stuff out. It's really interesting, albeit, you know, sad, of course, because mm-hmm. uh, someone like Bon Scott, who obviously was a legendary vocalist whose whose voice will be heard until the end of time with some of these songs and albums, um, whose death definitely deserves resolution. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's crazy that uh, a high profile figure like him, even at the time, wouldn't have like that, that that a case like that would not have been solved. But then again, I guess it took forever for fucking Biggie and Tupac. So I don't know, man. It would be interesting to get to get an answer, a solid answer. You know, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um. And then the only other thing of note, uh, not entirely related, but me being fascinated with serial killers and murder, and I know Frankie's the same way, um, Richard Ramirez, who was also known as the Night Stalker, told police that he was influenced by the song Night Prowler from the Highway to Hell album. Wow. Yeah, so I think I'm going to include that on the blog for those of you who haven't heard it. He he tried to blame music when we all know he was just fucking sick. (sighs) Whatever. Come on, Charles (laughs) cried that back in the day. We know it's a lie. Charles Manson and the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Same shit. And I mean, honestly, I love the story of how Richard Ramirez got caught. I love that the fucking neighborhood people just like ganged up on him and beat the shit out of him mm-hmm. until the cops arrived. It's such a satisfying ending. <laughs> it really is. Um, 
So the wild hogs end up, they're, they're out of gas. They end up, they end up having to walk their motorcycles for a few miles, but they end up in Madrid, which is a very small town in New Mexico. And they find a diner and they're immediately desperate for water and food and beer. And so they come in and the patrons, as well as like the staff are kind of like scared. They're kind of taken aback. Um, and they immediately think that the wild hogs are associated with the Del Fuegos. And so Maggie, who is played by Marissa Tomei, she owns the diner. And so she tries to be nice to them and they end up taking a booth. And Dudley is immediately like smitten with her. He thinks she's so pretty, but he's, of course, an awkward geek. So he can't actually speak to her. <laughs> um, and so the guys take a seat and they end up meeting the sheriff of the town, who is played by Stephen Toblowski, and he is, he's so funny. He walks up and he's like, at first he approaches them like they're Del Fuegos. He's trying to be nice. He's trying to say like, we don't want any trouble. And they're like, no, 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 we're not associated with those assholes. And he's like, oh, okay, good. And he like turns to the public. He's like, guys, they're not Del Fuegos. (laughs) (laughs) So then everyone's like, ah, like they just take a big sigh of relief. Okay. Oh, his name's Charlie, by the way. So Charlie ends up telling them that the gas station's closed on Sunday, so they'll have to wait till Monday if they want to fill up. And so, like, Woody is panicking. He does not want to stay in one place for too long. He wants to keep getting on the road because he thinks the Del Fuegos are already after them. But the wild hogs, who don't know anything about the bar, they're like, oh, no, it'll, it'll be fine. Let's just stay here for one night. It couldn't hurt. And Charlie's like, yeah, you should stay for the chili festival. It's going to be tonight. Um, which side note, under normal circumstances, we were going to record this episode together and eat chili (laughs) because we eat chili in this movie. We were going to do something special. It sucks. We're going to have cornbread. Corona ruined Um, everything. It was literally the week before Mm -hmm. and I I went and bought the fucking cornbread box, gluten-free cornbread. Like, yeah. And I had everything for the chili. I was ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. We were going to make chili, even though she didn't know my movie yet. Because I told her like, we were going to try to do dinner and record, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that the plan? Yes. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, what does your movie have food in it? And then I turned out like, I ended up being like, well, mine has a chili cook-off in it. So we were going (laughs) to eat chili. Um, oh well, next time. There's tons Whenever of that movies. Is. We I know. Whenever we can be together again. Reunited yeah. and it feels so good. So Charlie says they should stay for the chili festival. And and so there's also like competitions on hottest chili, and he tells them last year somebody's throat actually started to bleed. Changed their life. It was great. <laughs> And they're like, oh, shit, his throat started to bleed. He's like, yeah, it was great. And then he walks off. (laughs) It's so funny. So then we cut back to, like, Jack. And Jack is, like, has a map. And he's like, all right, I'm going to send you guys here and you guys here. And we're going to split up and we're going to find them. We're going to make them pay. So then the guys end up staying, of course. Woody is still freaked out. He's, like, he's trying to hide his face. He's really just trying to keep a low profile. Like, he's scared for his life. And the other guys are actually really enjoying Madrid. Like, they're getting along with the townspeople, and Dudley and Maggie are getting along. So that's cool. And um, so then uh, that's actually when Murdoch and Reg show up. And Bobby is like, oh, Woody, I'm going to talk to them this time. So he goes up to them. He's like, oh, did, did Woody not make it clear for y'all? And so he starts he starts talking all big and he starts like squirting them with mustard and ketchup. And he's just like, oh, tell the Del Fuegos that we're here. 
And Woody's just like, oh, God, you know, like, <laughs> it's just getting worse. It's just getting worse. And Jack gave them specific orders not to touch them. Jack was like, no, their bones are going to break under my fist. And so they're like, no, we can't, we can't get back at them right now. we got to wait for Jack. So they report back to Jack. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're in Madrid. And Jack's like, oh, yeah, I love Madrid. Because the Del Fuegos are known to stop by in Madrid and then fuck shit up and then leave. Mm. So they are, they are already kind of familiar with the area and the town. So the next morning, um, the Del Fuegos descend onto Madrid. And ugh, I love this scene because Ray Liotta is, like, leading the pack on his fucking motorcycle. And he looks hot as fuck. <laughs> and he looks like the fucking Terminator, dude. Like he, um, And I've never even seen the Terminator. He looks like the fucking Terminator on his fucking bike with his sunglasses. And he just looks like a fucking – like, Ray Liotta already looks like a badass, right? Yeah. But then put him on a motorcycle. I feel like he, like, lifted weights or something for this role, too, because he's a little bit more cut. Right? He's – oh, man, he looks good. He looks good. He looks good. All right, <laughs> okay. so. So descend onto Madrid, and so Woody's like, oh, shit, they're here. Hide the bikes. And he freaks out. And they're like, why are we hiding? What did you do? And finally he tells them, like, I kind of cut their brake lines and then I might have blown up their bar. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, good. They just want to kill us. <laughs> and so they end up taking refuge in Maggie's house. And they end up wrecking Maggie's diner. So they're across the street from her house and they just invade the diner and they're just, like, helping themselves. They're breaking shit. They broke through the window, like, and Jack tells them, like, we're going to sit in this diner until you show up and you're going to give us this much money to rebuild the bar and this much money for this. Like, he's demanding shit from them. He demands that they show their face. And so finally, like, <laughs> Dudley tries to stand up to them, but, like, he fucks up because he's Dudley. <laughs> and so they take hold of him and they wrap him in duct tape and they carry him out into the street. And Jack is, like, shouting out to the wild hogs and he's like, hey, if you don't come out here with the money, I'm going to break Dudley's legs. And then Dudley's like, I'm a computer programmer. I don't need my legs. <laughs> and then Ray Liotta's like, fine, then I'll break his hands. <laughs> and then Dudley's like, oh, crap. Bring the money. Definitely bring money. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, oh, God, it's like my favorite part. And so then they drag him out and they hang him like from like around his like okay it's weird how they hang him they have like rope and duct tape and he's like he's bound by the duct tape but then they're also hanging him from like somewhere within the duct tape I don't know they're not hanging him by his neck obviously no, I don't know he's kind of hanging like in the middle of the road and so finally, like, the wild hogs come up with this game plan, and they're going to pull him down, but it goes wrong. And so they all end up pulling the wild hogs aside. So all four of them are face-to-face -face with four of the Del Fuegos, and they just start this fight. And it's, like, the most comical fight. It's so funny. Like, Dudley is still taped up, and he's trying to fight. And it's, it's just great. It's just a clusterfuck. And so finally... Like, the, the Wong Kongs are getting their asses kicked, obviously, because they're outnumbered, and they're old, and they're not they're built for shit like they're, Yeah, exactly. They're not bikers. And so, but every time they get beaten down, they keep getting up. They realize that they have nothing left to lose. And at least if they're going to get their asses kicked, they're, next, they're with their friends. Like, they're with their brothers. Um, and so they're like, all right, fine, fuck it. Like, 
do your worst. And so finally Jack is just like, are you serious? Like they get back up again. And Jack's like, what's wrong with you guys? And then finally, out of nowhere, Blade shows up, right? And Blade is the guy that Ray Liotta was talking about earlier. And he's the one who started the Del Fuegos. Mm -hmm. He's the one who built the bar. He's actually played by Peter Fonda. Um, So that's cool, too. So Damien Blade rides up. And he's like, you're wrong, Jack. And so, like, because Jack continued to talk shit. And then Blade walks up. He's like, you're wrong, Jack. And it turns out Maggie called him. And Blade tells him, like, you know, why do you think I ride alone? Why do you think I don't wear the colors? And then Jack's like, well, these four posers, they burned down the bar you built. And Blade's like, that place was a shithole. And I had it insured for twice of what it was worth. So they did me a favor. And so Blade just tells him, like, you know, like, you're you're losing sense of what it means to be a biker, Jack. So why don't you just go home? And then Jack just kind of finally backs down. He gives Blade a pat on the back and he says, okay, Pop. And then they leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it turns out like it was his dad's legacy that he was trying to protect. So all the Del Fuegos get on their bikes and they get the fuck out of Madrid. And so then the town celebrates. Yay, everybody's happy. Dudley gets the girl. But then Bobby's wife, Karen, shows up with Doug's wife. And she's like, what the hell is going on? And she just starts going off on Bobby. And he kind of explains to her, like, hey, I'm tired of being talked at. Like, we need to talk more. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we need to understand each other more. And then Doug uh, meets up with his wife and kid. And his kid thinks he's so cool now because he got beat up by a biker gang. <laughs> and so he's like, I got to tell my friends. So he starts <laughs> texting his friends. And then um, Woody, it's kind of weird because Woody doesn't really get a re- resolution here. Like, he's still broke. He's still been left by his hot supermodel wife. We don't really see Woody come to like a happy ending necessarily, but I mean, he's got his friends. So right. I think that was really meant to be his happy ending. So the wild hogs decide they're going to continue on their road trip. They're going to go ahead and leave Madrid, you know, even though they're welcome to stay, like, you know, they got places they want to be. Um, so Dudley says bye to Maggie and uh, they all start to get ready to leave. And then the song that, takes them out of Madrid is Midnight Rider by the Almond Brothers Band. One of my favorites. Yes, it's a great song and so perfect for a movie like this. Mm -hmm. And so... Charlie walks up to the wild hogs and they're all like getting on their bikes. They're putting on their helmets. They're getting ready to go. And Charlie says like, oh, I wish y'all'd stay. And so his deputies, Earl and Buck, who were with him every time he showed up, um, they come up with him to say goodbye. And Earl uh, is kind of the one who does all the talking. And Buck is actually only has one ear because Earl shot it off in an accident. (laughs) Um, So throughout the whole movie, Earl was always on Buck's right side because that's like the side that doesn't have an ear. And so Earl was just like constantly talking shit about him. So finally, like at the end of the movie, Earl walks up and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to get all emotional like hamburger head over here. (laughs) And he realizes he's on the wrong side of Buck and Buck hears him and he's like, what did you say? And Earl like tries to apologize and Buck's like, I don't want to hear it. And he walks off. And then Earl's like, well, obviously you can't. <laughs> they just kind of walk off arguing. Um, 
And then uh, the wild hogs are like, hey, do you think they will run into any trouble? And Doug's like, I hope so. So they ride off onto the road. And uh, of course, uh, like probably immediately upon taking off, Dudley crashes into a display of watermelons. Of course. (laughs) And the townspeople are like, oh my God. And they all stop. He gets up and he's like, I'm okay. I just hurt my face. (laughs) So um, Midnight Rider. It's a song by American rock band, the Almond Brothers Band. This is the second single from their second album, Idlewood South, from 1970. The Almond Brothers version of this song wasn't incredibly successful, but cover versions proved to be more popular. Greg Almond recorded a version solo and released it in 1973 to chart success. Jamaican singer Paul Davidson has covered it, as well as Willie Nelson, Joe Cocker, Waylon Jennings, Patti Smith, The Drifters, Bob Seger, Theory of a Dead Man, and UB40. So quite a group of it's so diverse musicians. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you remember the uh, song is in um, Devil's Rejects. And so uh, I just, I love hearing all the facts about it again. <laughs> So that does end the movie. The guys do eventually make it to California. Um, and they're riding along the beach and the hilarity in that last scene, of course. But then, of course, the fucking... I love the ending credits to this movie because at the time, Extreme Home Makeover was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like prime time TV. And so... Um, the ending credit scene is basically like Extreme Home Makeover rebuilt the Del Fuego's bar. And it's so funny because like they tricked it out and it's like a two-story bar with motorcycles on the roof and like a pavement made of real leather. Like it like it's it's all tricked out for like bikers. And so when they revealed it, like Jack was like totally like solemn. Like he didn't change his face at all. He was just totally pouty. And so they cut to like Ty and he's like, yeah, I've seen a lot of emotional reactions, but Jack, wow. And then they cut to Jack and he's like blubbering. Like he can't even speak. It's so funny. And then like they cut to Murdoch and Murdoch's like, the bar was my home. When it went down, I felt homeless. It's so good. And just to see Ray Liotta cry. It's so funny. It's such a great ending. And like they're all freaking out over like, oh, they get a year supply of free beer. And then some of the bikers are fainting. And it's just great. It's hilarious. It's a so, great movie. Good choice, Misa. I'm going to post that on the blog. Um, I do have a few honorable mentions. Like I said, this was meant to be like a road trip playlist. So I wanted to include all the essentials. And that does include Who Do You Love by George Thurgood and the Destroyers, Call Me the Breeze by Leonard Skinner, Get Me Out of Here by Jet, Pony by Genuine, and Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. Yes. A couple fun facts about the movie. Um, This, okay, I was a little conflicted about this internally because this movie, which is one of my favorites, beat out one of my other favorite movies at the box office when it came out. On its opening weekend, Wild Hogs made $39.7 million, and it was the number one movie, and it made triple the amount of its fellow opening movie, 
David Fincher's Zodiac. Of course. Episode one of Soundtrack City, guys. I did not realize they came out the same week. They did. And I remember when I was in, like, I remember being in school and I even have the notebook where I wrote the journal entry. And I was like, there's so many good movies coming out this weekend. I want to see all of them. And two of them on my, I made a list and it was Zodiac Wild Hogs. <laughs> I shit you not. But I did not see either of them in theaters. So I didn't contribute to either of them, which is probably my bad. Um, but <laughs> wow, isn't that hilarious? Yes. It beat out my, my episode one movie. So sad face. Um, but uh, a couple fun facts. This movie was shot in Albuquerque. Uh, director Walt Becker paid his way through college by buying and selling and building Harley motorcycles. Cool. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, so he's very familiar with bikes, and he was really enthused to make a movie about bikes. Um, Jack Gill was the stunt coordinator who worked with the motorcyclists. Uh, the actors would visit his property for multiple days a week and practice riding. Before this film, Travolta had only ridden infrequently, as he said, and William H. Macy had experience on a Vespa. (laughs) Okay. To blow up the bar, 75 gallons of gasoline was used along with a propane pusher. None of the wood used in the blown up bar was structural wood. It was all meant to be weak and basically disposable um walt becker director his goal was to dwarf a michael bay explosion and i can tell you he did um martin lawrence's character was originally a white jewish man named bob (laughs) so they changed that the tuttles like i said uh they had a cameo in this movie and they actually built three of the bikes used in the film one of them being the one that ray Liotta rode wow that's so cool very cool. So the four motorcycles featured by the core cast were an XL1200C Sportster Custom for Dudley, an FXSTS Springer Softtail for Bobby, a black fat boy with a chrome front wheel for Doug, and a screaming eagle fat boy for Woody. Ooh. Ray Liotta actually wrecked multiple mini bikes in pre-production. And then he was eventually given one of the more challenging bikes, and he mastered it. <laughs> wow. So that's kind of funny. Um, this is cool. Some of the Del Fuegos that uh, were featured in the film were actually played by ex-Hells Angels, ex-Banditos, and other biker gang members. Wow, that's so cool. And they actually all got along really well, which is funny. I love it. <laughs> you love can it imagine that. to the side, you know? The director kept Ray Liotta separate from the cast until about 10 minutes before they met at the bar. Uh, and then he said that the most expensive 11 minutes in film musically were from the moment that Bon Jovi started to the moment ACDC ended. <laughs> uh, and speaking of the music, Disney raised the music budget for this film after the test screening, and they allowed them to use all the music that they wanted. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's cool. And yeah, it's just, it's funny. It didn't get great reviews. Um, It's one of those movies that like, I feel like you'll either really enjoy or just really think is stupid. Um, I think it's hilarious. What immediately drew me to the movie was that the cast seemed so random. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. 
like I, I was so curious to see John Travolta alongside like Martin Lawrence and like Tim Allen. So right. It's interesting. It's a very eclectic uh, cast. I didn't see this in theaters and I, I remember seeing like the previews. Um, I actually just purchased it. I used to work at a pawn shop and I saw it on Blu-ray one day and that was back in the day where I was just like buying Blu-rays because I loved having them. Um, and I purchased it cause it was a Disney and a Blu-ray and then I watched it and I thought it was hilarious. So totally worth it. I do recommend it. It's again, just like a, a lot of the things we've mentioned today, it's not for everybody. Um, but I think it's a, it's a nice little comedic escape. Um, it is a little heavy in the testosterone level. Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 so funny. It's so well written, and a, and a lot of part a lot of it was actually ad libbed. Um, so it's really cool not only to see just these actors playing off each other, um, but just just how hilarious their hijinks get. Like it's it's so cool to have a dynamic like Tim Allen, who was a stand up comedian, and Martin Lawrence, who was a stand up comedian, and then you know someone like John Travolta, who was like classically trained. He did theater. Then William H Macy, who you know is an actor in his own right. Right. Um, so it's just a really really decorated cast. Um, and then all the supporting cast is, is great too. Ray Liotta is just hilarious. Um, so I definitely recommend this movie. Uh, if you have access to it, please watch it. It's so funny. Uh, and if nothing else, just enjoy this awesome soundtrack that oh, came with it. God, yes. It's got a great soundtrack, Lisa. Yeah, so keep it in mind for whenever we do get up and out, guys, and you do take that road trip, you know, feel free to blast your ACDC and your George Thurgood and it's good good road tunes, man. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's it, guys. That concludes my movie. Woohoo. Awesome. Um, yeah, man. Good times. Um, is there anything else you want to cover? Um, no, I'm just, I, I mean, I know we're doing remote and we just, again, appreciate your patience and understanding with us trying to still navigate, you know, not being together and working everything out. And we just really appreciate all the support and feedback that we've gotten. Um, and the podcast definitely brings us joy, <laughs> you know, finding joy in those little moments with everything that's been going on. This is definitely one of the things that I can still I can still say I do even though there's a new normal to it. Um, so it, it's nice to know that at least we still can rely on recording the podcast and doing that. Um, I don't I don't know how sane I would be if I didn't have three hours set aside to talk to you about music and movies. Right, <laughs> right. and um, I think Misa, next time we record is our uh, we're twenty. Yeah, that's right. We're almost legal. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so crazy. We're just yeah, we're just so appreciative and we really hope you guys check out all those small businesses that we've mentioned. Um, you know, it's just it's a great time to reach out to those people who really help build the communities and you know, keep it afloat. Don't forget to support small and local businesses like the ones we've mentioned before as well as any others that you know, that you love, that you want to see survive and thrive throughout this pandemic and afterward. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we don't, we don't encourage anyone to give outside their means. Uh, we know that this is a tough time and it's okay to be selfish now too. It's okay to be looking out for you first. 
Um, but if, you know, if you have a dollar or two or five to spare to some charities or some organizations that you believe in or that you want to support, by all means, but please look out for yourselves Definitely. and each other. Um, please stay healthy, guys. If we don't have an audience, I don't, I'm not really sure who we're talking to. <laughs> For each other. I know, right? <laughs> we enjoy talking to each other, but it's it's more fun knowing that people listen. So, yeah, definitely. Um, but thank you guys again for being with us. If you've if you've made it to this point in the episode, now we're going to tell you all our secrets and passwords. <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, guys, thank you again for joining us at Soundtrack City. We hope we at least reminded you that there is good music in the world that will heal everything. Oh, music is the ultimate medicine for me. Definitely. Indeed. So guys, um, again, if we, we really hope that we brought some new movies to you. If you haven't seen them, um, check them out. Let us know what you thought. You know, you can comment on our Instagram, Hey Soundtrack City. And don't forget that the amazing Nisa created our link tree. So you can reach all of our different, um, social medias and, you know, um, music hosts through the link tree yes we got a link tree i don't know why i was sleeping on it for so long i don't think i understood it at first okay <laughs> no we got there eventually we took the yes, that, route yeah, that's true we're, we're we're getting it worked out slowly but surely we're not perfect yet not um, yet but yes if you guys visit our instagram at hey soundtrack city you will see a link in our bio and that is where you will find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. You'll find our Spotify playlist. Yeah, you'll find our Podbean link. You'll find our Instagram link. You'll find our blog link, which is very important because after every episode, we're going to post audio and video and all kinds of clips and goodies about the things we talked about. So be sure to check that out as well. All right, guys. Well, it has been a blast. We really hope you enjoyed episode 19. Uh, look out for our blog and make sure that if you haven't seen Baby Driver or Wild Hogs, you check those out. This is Frankie. And this is Misa. And we hope you are staying safe and have a great night. Until next time. <laughs>